You want to achieve great things? You want to reach the next level? Well, so does every other entrepreneur. You know what that means? You have to take every competitive advantage possible. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, the show where we're going to show you how to create this competitive advantage by being more productive and sharing the secrets of the world's top performers. I'm your host, Kenny Aronson, and I think it's time to get down to business. At the DaVinci Mindset Podcast, our central theme is helping you to reach your full mental potential, your full potential for learning and utilizing the amazing capacity of your brain. One of the most important parts of this amazing capacity is your memory. Memory is one of the most important foundations for your ability to learn, for your ability to, for your ability to grow and go through self-development. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Anthony Metivier. Anthony is a foremost expert in the field of memory. He's the owner and the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method. Anthony is an expert in online entrepreneurship, memory techniques, and memory palaces. Today, we are very, very excited to bring you our conversation and our interview so that you can learn more about how to use your memory to its full potential so you can learn faster and reach your dreams. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome Anthony Mativier to the show. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you here. So at the show, we try to keep things kind of natural, pretty easygoing. So I always start with a, just a basic question so the audience can get to know a little bit more about your story and what you're up to. So Anthony, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to in this amazing world? Well, I, I, I am a person who teaches memory techniques with great passion through a multiple set of mediums ranging from my blog to the Magnetic Memory Method podcast to some live streaming on YouTube. And we just have a great old time going into the ancient art of memory that a lot of the memory competitors really don't teach in their books after they win the competitions and go into what it was that the ancients really did to memorize entire books and how that applies to learning languages and getting the best out of what the memory competitors have done. So I've spent hours upon hours upon hours either with them in person or speaking with them. And uh, I've gone and competed myself and gone into the ancient texts to figure it out. And the magnetic memory method is really the one memory technique that binds them all together into a singular movement with the memory palace. And I treat it like a university, which is why I speak to so many people from multiple worlds of memory on my own podcast to have them as sort of like guest professors uh, at, on my little campus of memory training. I love that. So I'm curious, Anthony, how did you get started with the magnetic memory method and all these memory techniques? Well, I was in graduate school and hit a cold, cold winter and huge depression. I had been in the hospital for manic depression and they were giving me every pill under the sun and it was making things worse and worse and worse. And I had deadlines. I had to sit for what are called field examinations. I had to come up with a dissertation, which I was then going to have to defend in front of a council of all kinds of mean and scary professors. They weren't mean and scary, but that's how it feels when you <laughs> that I can in, definitely 
attest to that. That is how it is. Well, especially when you're clinically depressed and about to throw yourself off a bridge. And uh, I got the wild idea that instead of throwing myself off a bridge, instead of going to the exams and failing because I couldn't read books or focus or concentrate or remember anything, I thought I'd become a street magician. And street magic was kind of hitting the scene pretty heavy at that time. And I'd done card tricks before. Anyway, to make a long story short, I discovered in the card magic world something that is the holy grail of card tricks called any card at any number. And there's a number of ways to do it, but one of them is to legitimately memorize a deck. And I thought, there's no way. But the magician teaching this, he's like, just do what I tell you. You'll get this and you'll be able to do it. And uh, so because it was on video and I didn't have to read anything, I could understand it quite easily. And lo and behold, 15 minutes later, I had a whole deck memorized. And I instantly realized if I could just get all this French philosophy and German philosophy and ancient Greek terminology onto, it, onto cards, then I can memorize it in this exact same way. And so before you know it, I did not cure my depression. I still felt like hell all the time and I was still on medicine, but I also had the confidence like a tiger to march into these exams pop stuff off the top of my head, including page numbers. And I got my PhD and then wound up getting a huge uh, research grant and teaching in Germany and learning German while I was there relatively quickly, really turning heads, but how quick that happened. Uh, Cause I just focused on vocabulary and then memorized sentences around the vocabulary and just talked to everybody who would listen. And uh, then I was given lectures <laughs> in German. So, uh, and wound up living there for eight years. So oh, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's basically it. And uh, that's very cool. I, I love that. I really love your story, how you, you know, you got your roots in, in the street magic where you found the technique. So I'm curious, where, what are your goals for the future with the magnetic memory method? What are your dreams for where you want to take it? Well, I think that we don't know what's going to happen with technology, but until the internet is, is fractioned into you know, warring country states of online. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, it's going in that direction, but uh, yeah, it, 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 my my biggest uh, optimism is that it stays pretty much the way that it is in terms of open access for the entire world. But but I'm not. Uh, I'm hedging my bets, so I'm just creating the biggest possible asset for as many people around the world while we can still use it as as such. And uh, don't, I, I, I really don't think too much uh, beyond that because none of us controls the laws that govern the universe and every action that we take forces us to take further actions. So I just enjoy the ride as it is and help as many people as I can. Okay, I love that. So is that your motivation, just helping people, helping people to understand their memory? Yeah, if you've ever been on the brink of death, that's, that's, that's the only thing that's left. You know, there's nothing else to do other than to help others. When you have a secret so profound that it can save your own life, get you the degrees that you need to help others. And so what else is there left to do? This is what Plato was talking about thousands of years ago in the allegory of the cave. They remade it in a movie called The Matrix. And uh, you just got to go out there and help free as many people as you can. Otherwise, I don't think you've found the secret yet. <laughs> so keep trying. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Anthony. I, I really love that. I love your perspective about helping people because I certainly agree with you. That's what life is all about. And that's what you know, for, for if you want to be successful, if you want to be successful in business, especially, 
you really have to focus on helping others. So I, I want to just talk a little bit more about, you know, learning and memory. And why do you think that learning and memorizing faster or just understanding your mind is important? Well, it is exactly that. What would you be learning for? What would you be remembering information for other than to give it back? right? You've got to create a perfect circle. So when you're learning a language, you're not learning a language to speak with yourself. You're learning a language to speak with others, right? And when you're learning math or physics or chemistry or whatever it is that you might be learning, you're learning that in order to be part of a larger community and to be the best possible person that you can be in that community so that you're able to contribute to it at the highest possible level. And you can't even possibly benefit yourself as an individual at the highest possible level if your memory isn't on fire for knowledge and able to turn that knowledge into expertise to make you that high-level contributor in society. So it, it's exactly this ancient law of being the best possible version of yourself and doing whatever it takes to get there, honestly and ethically. And it turns out that you know you can have a cheat sheet or a crib sheet in your mind for all those examples that isn't cheating at all because you've legitimately memorized the information. So that's really what it's all about. It's being a contributor to society. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. So I just want to, you know, go into a couple of general techniques a little bit for later into the interview. We'll go more in depth at some of the specific techniques such as the memory palace, but just starting from the basics, how can we start to learn faster? Well, the basics are, I think, the foundational technique, which is the memory palace. And that is essentially taking a familiar location, portioning it up into a very clear and distinct, crisp journey that reduces any sort of mental overwhelm uh, or cognitive load so that you're literally just able to look at a table in your mind you don't necessarily have to see a table in your mind. In fact, you want to not try to see it. You just want to think about it. And then you take a piece of information you don't know and you weave it together mentally with uh, things you already know. So if you were to give me uh, a name, for example, uh, like yours, right? Like I would go from REM had that song, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? And then there's Kenny from <laughs> South Park. And I would weave That's those things together. Get. South, that's one I get every single time. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess I betrayed my age there with the REM reference. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the point is, is that it's not about it visual. It's not about it being auditory. It's about it being the, the same thing, coming together with space, right? And so then I think later, who was that podcast interview with? Oh, right, uh, Kenneth. And then Aronson, for example, well, there's a magic uh, thing called the Aronson, Aronson stack. Uh, so I could think of a deck of cards there that's stacked in the Aronson order. You know, like you're just, you're using things that are already in your brain to associate with things that you want to have immediately. And you just look at the kitchen table. Now you've got REM in a fist fight with Kenny from South Park with the Aronson stack doing memory uh, or doing magic tricks, right? And it's that simple. And you can do that with the most complex information in the world. You can do it with the most simple information in the world. The process is pretty much the same. It's just that you may need more images with greater detail uh, and greater feelings, greater emotions for more difficult information. But the principle is all the same. 
Thank you, Anthony. So I want to talk a little bit about your, your past experiences with memory techniques. So starting from where you were, where you discovered it in street magic when you're in the, the manic depression during school, how long did it take you to get to the point at kind of where you are you know, now? Maybe not quite so where you are now with your expertise, but where you're starting to see real massive benefits in your life and in your schooling. Well, immediately, right? Because you, you realize, oh my goodness, you could do this with anything. And it took me a while to figure out just how you can scale it by having multiple memory palaces and using a number of tools that I discovered along the way. But the benefits are, are absolutely immediate. I mean, just being able to memorize people's names already is an immediate benefit. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. And one of the best things of all is that I've looked so deeply into these uh, techniques and experimented so wildly and, and, and taught for so many years now that I have coach effect. I'm like, I'm like uh, in Hollywood, there are these script doctors who are paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to fix broken screenplays. And they can't write a screenplay to save their lives, you know, but they can still turn bad screenplays into amazing things. And we know that there are coaches of NBA stars who couldn't sink a ball to save their life, but they're still, you know, the, the credited for uh, being able to, to help these NBA teams, for example, uh, win major prizes and have these stars. So I kind of have that going on a little bit um, in terms of I've had, help people who now are doing things with their memory far in excess of anything that I ever did, which is coach's effect, which is an amazing thing to, to experience. We just had a student actually who emailed me with uh, 1200 digits of pi or P depending on how you want to pronounce it in the, in the P uh, world ranking list. And uh, that was just an incredible honor. So I'm not going to actually sit around and memorize 1200 digits of pi, even though I could, but it's so great that, Tra training that I've offered has helped people do that. James Gerwing in, in Canada. This is uh, 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 Marno Herman, by the way, in uh, South Africa, who did that with 1,200 digits. James Gerwing in Canada, he broke two Canadian records uh, based on the training that we did. And again, this is stuff I'm not personally going to go and do. But in my own realm with language learning, seen some amazing stories as well with people doing a thousand words in six weeks, which was Elton Clem in, uh, in Israel and Amanda Markham. She needed to memorize or to be able to start speaking a, an Aboriginal language called Aranta. And, uh, uh, she did 200 words in 10 days with this language and they all start with the letter A because <laughs> <laughs> the majority of the words in this language start with that. And it's just incredible. So anybody can do this. You just got to figure out how to switch it on in your mind and uh, it, it creates its own little engine if you if you get it right that'll just keep you motivated and we know why it's because myelin and dopamine are created in the brain when you get things right and you have proper habit chains you stack your habits correctly and then you're off to the races you can do whatever you want with your memory thank you anthony i, I think that's very insightful and, and it sounds you know certainly exciting to me and the listeners because over the past year, I've really gotten into a lot of memory techniques. And that, that's certainly a part of my business. And I, I can definitely attest to the fact that, you know, they really start to scale over time as your as your mind gets more used to it, and the habits become ingrained in your mind. But I want to go off on a on a slight tangent just for a couple of minutes, because there, there are certain parts of your mind. So you have your memory, and that and then what 
a lot of people refer to as your intelligence. So we know that there are multiple types of intelligences, but I'm curious what your opinion is, Anthony, what your perspective is. Do you think that intelligence is something we are born with or is it based off of our thinking and learning habits over time? Mm, That's interesting. I'm not sure I have an opinion about that. Uh, I think the way I would approach a question like that is, do you actually want anything? And if so, what are you going to do to get it? Who cares about intelligence and, you know, uh, all the multiple ways that we can describe intelligence and IQ and all that sort of stuff. The, The real X factor, the secret sauce is, do you actually really want something? And if you don't, well, no problem. Don't punish yourself because you don't have, you know, an engine inside burning like mad to push you towards a goal. Just relax enjoy your position in life and maybe one day you will get that but and you're much much more likely to get that driving x factor by being relaxed about things you know instead of creating all sorts of guilt inside of yourself and uh, that's what i uh, generally see play out all the time is when people can just relax they enjoy the ride as opposed to thinking about well was i born this way or uh, you know, is there some way to manufacture greater intelligence or something like this? It doesn't really have anything to do with intelligence. It has to do with, do you want something and can you get it? Because some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world, they really aren't that smart or clever, but they were extraordinarily smart and clever in a completely different way because they figured out how to move very, very big levers with minimum energy that changed the entire world. And that just comes from fire, passion, figuring it out. And that's, that's a whole different ball game, really. It's not, it's not even in the same universe as, as this question. Um, so I would, I would skip the question and, and think more about what do people want and what are they willing to do to get it? And what can they do to find their existing level of competence in a guilt-free way to explore what they're actually going to do to make that happen? And that's a memory question, not an intelligence question, because your existing competence is something that you can know and explore just by looking into your existing memory. Thank you, Anthony. I greatly appreciate your question. And I, and I can certainly agree with you because everyone has their strength. Everyone has their desires. And you really have to, to focus on what's important for you and what you want. So I want to take this conversation back to what we were talking about before, where we were talking about memory palaces. Would you be able to tell me a little bit more about what exactly the memory palace technique is? Just talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a, a, a strange term. And I really take it from the St. Augustine version of that. But some people call it a, a, memory, a mind palace, which I think is wrong. It's not really about your mind. It's very much about your memory and the structure of your memory. Uh, I've had had a student who hated it so much that he couldn't even use the techniques as I teach them until that he said, uh, he came back to me and he said, okay, I'm going to call them apartments with compartments. (laughs) And uh, I said, fine, good, rock and roll, like whatever. Let's not get hung up on the terminology. But the one thing to know about it is that it's really using location as a mnemonic. So a mnemonic is anything that helps you remember something. So Using acronyms is a mnemonic. 
using rhymes can be mnemonic. Like one is a gun, two is a shoe, three is a V is a famous sort of way of uh, helping you remember certain numbers in certain ways. And so space itself becomes a location-based mnemonic because you're allowing your mind to rest something like your name, uh, Kenneth Aronson, on a table because I have put images together on, on a table. And what that does is it becomes really like a fridge magnet holding a piece of information to a fridge, except for in this case, the table is, is uh, the thing that the magnet sticks the information to. And so that's one thing. It's about giving the information a place so you can find it later. The second thing that a memory palace does is it lets you rehearse the information into long-term memory because we know that we need repetition. The question is how much repetition do we need and how fun can that repetition be? And so now let's say we've got 10 names in an apartment and one of them is really stuck to the fridge. One of them is on the stove. One of them is on the counter and Ken Theronson is on the, uh, the table, right? Well, to get, and this actually just happened to me. So why don't I, instead of speculating, let me just uh, lay it out here. I was, <laughs> I came out of the gym the other day. I hear this guy yelling at me, Anthony. I couldn't see who the hell it was. And uh, finally there was this guy in a car. He gets out and he's like, my name's Abraham. I'm also a teacher like you. And I want to help all the people in India. We got to take you to India. I've been looking for you all day. And I'm like, what the hell? And <laughs> it's true. Apparently Where's he was this going. Yeah, it was weird, but uh, he, uh, it, it's true. He, he, he has showed me his business card. He's got this online education thing. He just started doing his research about other educators, finds me. He realizes that I'm not only in the same city, but just up the street. So instead of like emailing or calling, he decided he would just like bang on the door. And uh, it just so happened that uh, I came out of the gym while he, his son is in the store for a second. Now his name's Abraham, right? So I'm instantly thinking, okay, we're here in front of the pharmacy. And so I'm going to, Oh, uh, there's that crazy, uh, story of Isaac song from Leonard Cohen about, uh, you know, and then, and then I'm thinking, is that really Abraham? No, wait a second. I better think about, uh, Abraham Lincoln. There I go. And so now he's uh, associated with Abraham Lincoln in front of the pharmacy. His son comes. He's like, this is my son, Lem. And it was spelled something like L-E-U-M, whatever. I just saw Lemmy from Motorhead. Now Lemmy from Motorhead is taking that beautiful Rickenbacker bass, smashing it over Abraham's head, like Abraham Lincoln's head. And then later his daughter comes and is named Amy. And so I'm thinking Amy Potterfield. And I have a cousin named Amy. And, uh, or Porterfield, I think is her name. It doesn't matter. But uh, someone I know in my existing competence, right? The existing images in my head. I'm not inventing anything. I'm just associating with existing mental content and I'm placing it all in front of the pharmacy here. And uh, then what happens is we're sitting there and this woman comes up and says, are you Anthony? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she said, oh, my name's Lisa. I have taken your course and uh, this is Ruby. And I remember these names because I instantly see Lisa Simpson in a fight with the Ruby Slippers from The Wizard of Oz, right? right? Now, all of this is all laid out in front of the pharmacy on my street. Later when I get home, I go through all the names in order based on where I saw them. But then I go in reverse order and then I skip them. So I go from Abraham to Amy to Ruby, then back to Lisa, then to Lem, right? 
And I do this because that's serial positioning, which is what we need in order to get things into long-term memory quicker. And I did this for the next uh, couple of days. This is only uh, about five days ago. I'm not sure exactly how many days ago, but it was last week sometime. And uh, I did it pretty much for the next three days. And those names will will almost certainly be in long-term memory next time I see them. And I know this because I give a lot of presentations in Brisbane and every time I go, I memorize all the names there. And for the next couple of days, I go through those names in the exact location where they were sat because that's the memory palace and I get them into long-term memory. And then I wind up seeing them later and I, you know, get this little moment of nervousness and then I'm like, Hey, Thomas, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, it works. <laughs> I'm as surprised as anybody else. But it gets into that long-term memory because of the, the use of location as a mnemonic, the use of imagery and association of information that's already in my chemical brain, right? Associating with the new information and then what I call recall rehearsal, which is playing with those names in a variety of serial positioning orders to harness the serial positioning effect and get the most out of what's called the primacy and recency effect. And then I remember who they are and I remember their names. It's easy peasy lemon squeezy. Just takes a little bit of time, but time well spent. And we're talking about maybe over the course of three or four days, maybe ten minutes of uh, rotating these names around in my head. Thank you, Anthony. So I'm curious. From the point where you started using association to learn names, how long did it take you for it to become automatic? So that when you hear the person's name, you just see the image. I'm curious. Well, I just. I don't think it ever becomes automatic. I don't think that that's, that's uh, the way it works. People want this automatic thing, but you really have to pay attention and you have to be a person who uses memory techniques. You have to be like a samurai. You're prepared to execute any last move, even with your head cut off, right? So that means you remind yourself, I'm going to remember people's names. And you never take it for granted that this is ever automatic. We know this. I mean, there's been cases of people who won memory championships. Then they go on the TV show uh, uh, to be interviewed, and the host says, hey, what's my name? And it's like, the guy doesn't even know, right? And it's not because he's not a world memory champion. It's just because he didn't <laughs> use the techniques, right? And if you hear some of my episodes with memory competitors, I often ask them, I'm like, well, what's it like in everyday life? What is it really like? And of course, we don't just use it automatically. Uh, you've got to have the conscious decision to use it. So if you're going to be a person who uses memory techniques to memorize names, for example, you never take for granted that you have a sword that performs a certain activity if you, like you would if you were a samurai. The samurai never takes for granted that they just have a sword and a skill with it. They are practiced. They are prepared to execute the moves that are necessary, even if there is no battle. And then if that situation comes, they execute it flawlessly, right? Or at least good enough. So it's not about automatic. That's a fantasy. It's about being aware of situations and being prepared. And sometimes I will, I will miss an opportunity. But this is like a quirky little thing. But I remember uh, at my favorite cafe here, um, I was asking about having a meetup group there. And the... The, the woman at the, the, the counter, whose name I still haven't learned yet because of just the oddity of life, uh, of life and the story, <laughs> he mentioned the names of the two people who run the cafe, and I didn't encode them. I didn't make any images, and I went down the street 
And then I was like, no, this is stupid. I should know what their names are, uh, 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 which is Sophie and Ola. And <laughs> I went back. I didn't ask this woman what her name was, but I said, you just said their names. What were their names? And she said, Sophie and Ola. And I was like, good, got it. Then I walked down the street again. And I was like, oh, I didn't even ask her her name. How stupid was that? But anyway, like that's just the way it is. But <laughs> at least now I have. Sophie and Ola's name and Nathan also works there. There's someone named Sarah that works there. The other cafe has Lawrence and uh, uh, Kyle. And I also don't know half the staff there because it just hasn't been a natural situation to me for me to just ask their names and memorize them. So it's just one of those things. You pick your battles and you get them all eventually if you want them, but it is never automatic. You have to do it. You have to be aware and you, and, and you have to walk back sometimes and just ask those names and then you still sometimes are not uh, on your feet and you don't even ask the name of the person you just asked names from. So like, just keep it real and use the techniques as frequently as you can and you'll just have a wild adventure. At least I am. Thank you, Anthony. I love that. And I certainly agree with you because you always got to focus. And that's what I found, you know, when, when I'm trying to remember the names of the people I meet, you know, if I'm not paying attention, you know, if there's a little bit of time and that you typically just goes in one ear and out the other. But, you know, focusing, I always say, is the, the first step, you know, whether it's names, mathematical equations, or any other type of information. So to the listeners out there, I think this is a good time to just take a, a quick break. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everyone, to the Da Vinci Mindset Podcast. I'm joined by Anthony Mativier. In the first half of this episode, we've had a very, very powerful conversation about memory techniques and namely the memory palace. I'm very excited to continue our conversation to see what I can learn and to see what I can provide you guys in the form of immense value. So welcome back, Anthony. And let's just go ahead and dive right in. How do we create effective memory palaces? Well, first of all, understand what they are. I think we've established that. And I highly recommend that people draw them. Reason being that you often will struggle to do the mental rotation of space in the beginning. But if you draw a floor plan, like a top down bird's eye view of a home that you're very familiar with, this will reduce the amount of energy you're spending on the task. It really should take two to five minutes to just jot out a simple floor plan. That's also going to help you strategize your journey so that you're not crossing your own path. You're not leading yourself into dead ends, which is the classic problem that so many people experience with this technique, and it leads them to giving up. And there's no doubt that one would give up because it's frustrating when you feel like you run out of space, which I call um, memory palace uh, scarcity, and then people get trapped in dead ends and leads to this related effect that I call memory palace claustrophobia. And that sounds kind of like highfalutin and goofy, but it's absolutely what goes on. I've worked with thousands of people over the years, and they are tremendously grateful for just those two tips alone. Don't cross your own path. Don't lead yourself into dead ends. And you can only see that effectively, or at least as quickly as efficiency allows by drawing out a simple floor plan. And, you know, don't overcomplicate it. You don't 
you don't need to be have a scarcity mindset. A lot of people get into this and they're like, well, uh, you know, I need to have 500 stations in, in a memory palace. No, you need to have multiple memory palaces. 500 stations is nothing. You can have thousands of stations, but you've got to spread them out amongst multiple memory palaces. And so just get a simple journal, go through the alphabet. How many people do you know whose homes you have seen whose name starts with the letter A? How how many stores do you know that start with the letter A? And so on. Go to B, go to C, go to D. Just run through the alphabet and figure out as many as you can, as quickly as you can. And before you know it, you'll have a memory palace network and you'll be able to use those areas with well-formed journeys to memorize information en masse. Okay, thank you, Anthony. So what types of buildings are typically, buildings or locations are typically best for your memory palaces? I would say best starts with the ones you're actually going to use. So that it was one thing to keep in mind. Then if it's really big, like there are certain museums that I won't use in full. Just think of the smallest parts that you could, you could use. Uh, and so like I like to use certain art galleries and museums and so forth, but I'll typically just use a very contained area because they can be very vertiginous and dizzying and confusing. So if you just break it down to one room that you know very well, even if it's just the cloak room, like <laughs> here in Brisbane, I really just use the, the, the cloak room of uh, uh, one of the museums because it's just the most contained thing. You can like see into it enough to, to figure it out. And then you don't have the overwhelm of trying to figure out the, the maze of possible rooms upstairs. Uh, it's just that simple. Now, the other thing that you want to keep in mind is that it sh ideally in the beginning, at least if not always, is, is that you've seen it with your own eyes. And the reason for this is that we have something in our brains called spatial mapping. So a lot of people, they want to invent, they want to get fancy, they want to use video games, they want to use movies, they want to use all kinds of things, which does work for some people. But for the vast majority of us, that's a level of fantasy that requires too much mental energy. The whole purpose of the memory palace is not to go, like you see all these trainings that are absolutely bonkers for most people where they're like, see yourself walking from one place to the other. That's just way too much mental energy to spend. You just think of the table. Uh, you don't even have to see it. Just table, chair, fridge, counter. The point is, is is it linear and is it already in your mind because you've seen it with your own eyes and you felt it with your own body and maybe you have some smells associated with it and so forth. So keeping those principles in mind is, uh, is the absolute best way to go about making memory palaces. Thank you, Anthony. I found that one of the, the most helpful things for me is to you know, find associations between the information that I'm learning and the memory palace that I choose, for instance, when I was, you know, memorizing formulas and concepts for one of my engineering mechanics classes, I just picked the engineering building because I've seen it with my own eyes and it's a, it's a very clear and concise association. So, or do you have any more unique memory palace tips or techniques that you would like to share with the audience? Well, I would say that what you just suggested is great from time to time, but it should be absolutely unnecessary because... There are so many topics in engineering 
that if you just had to rely on engineering specific buildings, then you're going to cripple yourself very quickly because we only have so many engineering buildings that we can use, right? Of course. It, it should be absolutely irrelevant what the building is relative to the topic because it's, it's just a tool. Uh, you don't want to create attachments to necessary association. You just want to use association, period. Uh, so I would just caution anybody that heard what you just said that, yes, that's great from time to time, but it's not something to get attached to because it ultimately becomes a weakness. And I know this from teaching thousands of people. They will fret for hours trying to find association-appropriate memory analysis, and it's not necessary, and it's, it's, its benefit is just a convenience more than an actual aid to memory uh, at the end of the day because the alphabet it also, it is even stronger. It's just like, well, engineering, well, my brother's name is Eric, or I have a friend named Erica, or, <laughs> or there's, there's a, 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 in Germany, there's a, a many grocery stores called Edeka, right? So yeah, I'm not, I don't mean to, uh, to quote unquote correct you, but rather oh, just to I, I throw, throw out a big note of caution of the limitations that people wind up putting on themselves because of that idea that, oh, I'm studying biology, so I better use only the biology buildings on my campus. That's a, that's a, that's a trap. Okay, I certainly agree. Is, are there any other unique memory palace tips you would like to share? There are, there, there are many, many tips, but tips are, are useless. What we need are the foundational skills. And then the tips are absolutely unlocked. So I can go into seashelling. I can go into the constellation uh, technique. I can go into uh, the magnetic Russian doll technique. But those things only make sense after you are really good with the foundations. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to share with the foundations that we haven't covered yet? Yeah. Take this all one sip at a time. Study these techniques, that's the S, implement the techniques, which is the I, and practice them with information that improves your life. So when you get into memory training, you'll see all kinds of people saying, memorize a shopping list, or they'll give you a list of random words, chicken, eraser, uh, I don't know, uh, bush, like just bizarre words that have nothing to do with anything you would ever really want to use these skills for. If you're going to memorize a shopping list, memorize it in another language. That at least, and, and a language you actually want to learn, that at least is giving you a quick victory when you actually can recall this information that is meaningful, substantial, and more likely for you to see the value of these techniques. But yeah, I remember chicken and eraser and bush. You know, This is, this is not a win. <laughs> this is just a bunch of useless words. But you'll see it again and again and again in the common memory training books, right? And it's no wonder that those people never go on to do anything extraordinary with the memory techniques afterwards because they've been given the most unextraordinary information to work with. Memorize the information that's going to improve your life. This will create dopamine in your brain at a much higher level. And as you continue to get these wins, it'll create myelin, which is so formational uh, and foundational to habit formation so that the next thing you know, 90 days will have gone by and you'll just be a completely different person of knowledge and expertise that you never imagined possible. Thank you, Anthony. I greatly appreciate that. So I want to steer this conversation because I know you do a little bit of work with online entrepreneurship with the, the Branding Academy, for instance. So in your opinion, in your perspective, how do you think that people can find success 
as an online entrepreneur? Well, with BrandingU.Academy, Jonathan Levy and I teach people pretty much what I've already mentioned, which is to explore their existing levels of competence, find something that they legitimately can create value for other people around, and then we show them how simple it is to have a well-functioning website that creates a fan base, an audience that really enjoys what you're doing, puts it into action so they're getting results, and then attracts more people because of the results that they're getting. So the real tip, so to speak, or the, <laughs> the foundation that leads to all kinds of little finicky tips is make sure that you have something that the world really, really wants and that it already exists on the market so that you know that people want it and it's not just something that you want the world to have because that will be a very difficult sell indeed. And I know this because I, I tried to sell things that I wanted the world to have. It doesn't work. That, it doesn't really work out very well <laughs> at the end of the day. I certainly agree with uh, you. And, if someone, they, they do find something that they're, they're passionate about and they do know that the, the world wants it, that the market wants it, after creating their site, is there anything else that they should do to be successful? Well, you might not even want to create a site at the beginning because uh, there's True. You know, many steps there. It's not necessary. You could uh, publish a book just on Amazon and and uh, see see how that uh, uh, works for you. I mean, you got to promote it, right? And then how are you going to promote it without an email list? How are you going to build an email list without a website and so forth? So, you know, you could, for example, have some YouTube videos that are pointing people to an Amazon book uh, and without building a whole site you can at least have a link that is your name that is has trackable uh you know you're able to track the clicks on that link to see if you're actually generating traffic to your amazon book or people buying it and so forth that's a bit it's getting a little bit complex but there's many platforms that uh that allow you you to just see how traffic is interacting period like udemy or uh any variety of, of, of those kinds of platforms. They're getting crowded, but new ones always appear that you could try and just, you know, see if there's an interest in, in what you want to do without you having to mount a giant promotional uh, website. The other thing that you could do that's just super simple is, you, you know, you have your Facebook uh, profile or whatever, and you start up a YouTube channel based around your expertise, and you just offer people, look, I, I, would, uh, I would love to coach you on something for an hour. And if you can't even give away a coaching hour, then you know you're in trouble, right? Uh, but ideally, you want to sell maybe 10 to 15 coaching hours for 100 bucks or something to, to validate that people actually are willing to pay for whatever your superpower is that you're going to imbue them with uh, your knowledge. Thank you, Anthony. So I know that you use YouTube a lot for your platform. For someone out there who they're just getting started and they're making a YouTube channel, do you have any recommendations for these people and how you can start building an audience? Yes. Uh, what you want to do, if I was starting all over again, and, and I actually uh, have started a, a second YouTube channel all over again, is you want to really make sure that you've got you know a good 10 to 15 
videos done before that you start the first video. Put them out on a publishing schedule and really look at your analytics and see what Google or YouTube is putting up in search and what people are finding in search and then make more of that content. And uh, try to avoid grinding but be consistent and follow follow what it is that you ultimately are being found for and that people are engaging with. And YouTube will tell you this. They'll tell you where you're showing up in search and how many minutes of that content people are actually consuming. And so, again, it's what people want, not what you want for the world. And I've been surprised again and again and again by the things that I've put out there that uh, catch on and then just go make more of it. And, and it just, it, it, it's not a magic bullet, but it works a lot better than how, oh, here's what I want to talk about. Now, you still get to do what you want to talk about, and you still throw out experiments. You don't have to always follow the data, but uh, you're going to build an audience a lot faster if you do follow the data most of the time. Okay, Anthony, thank you for your answer. So I know that you and the, the people you work with, especially Jonathan Levy, you guys focus a lot on information products. So when you find your audience and you find the need, how can we create good information products that people are satisfied with? Well, you've got to actually have the skills that you're teaching. It's, it's completely uh, mind-boggling, but you'll see it again and again and again, is that people want to teach things that they haven't actually accomplished for themselves. And so you got to make sure you're not one of them. And so if you don't have uh, the skills that you want to teach, then either be on the journey documenting and save the information product for later, which is totally fine. There's many great YouTube success stories, for example, where people are like, I'm going to learn how to do X. And then they build an audience and then they create a course that they offer to the audience after they had the accomplishment. Um, but you know, it's a, to each is to each their own and everybody has their karma, but the, uh, the internet is filled with all kinds of people who have absolutely zero expertise in the things that they're teaching or very little. And, uh, this is not cool. So the biggest piece of advice is teach things that you actually have a skill in or be a different kind of entrepreneur who hires legitimate experts and helps them package their stuff but go from the basis of actual demonstrated verifiable repeatable expertise so that your audience actually will get something out of it because people get nothing from nothing you know so one of the things that you know i, I can certainly attest to that fact because you see i've seen a lot of these courses or products you know they're promoted by people they, they tell you that you can make a hundred thousand dollars a month of passive income or like a million dollars and then you know it's, it's usually just ridiculous because these people like they, they, they have nothing or they're teaching people and they're just, it's just a bunch of snake oil salesmen. And a lot of people, they just gotta, you know, they gotta be careful to avoid the, these types of products and they don't want to do it themselves. So I appreciate you answering that. And as we start to wrap things up with the show, I, I typically leave my, my guests with one final question and it, and it's go, if it, it goes along these lines, Anthony, if you could only leave the audience with one piece of actionable advice, what would it be for you? Be quiet in your mind and practice your memory and memorize information that helps you improve the lives of others and legitimately improves your own life because you've tested 
that you actually want the outcomes that are going to be produced by your learning efforts. Okay, thank you so much, Anthony. I, I greatly appreciate that answer, and I think that that's certainly going to help a lot of people. And, you know, I, I definitely agree with you, too. You know, sometimes you just got to be quiet in your mind and just just listen to other people, just listen to yourself, but it's very valuable. So I, I greatly appreciate you coming on to the show today, Anthony. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, I think we had a, a very powerful conversation about the memory palace technique, a little bit about digital entrepreneurship. And I think that the, the audience will find it very valuable. So Anthony, if the audience wants to know more about you, what you're doing, and the magnetic memory method, where can they do so at? Where can they find you? Well, you can just come visit me at magneticmemorymethod.com or search magnetic memory method and it will come up and uh, get involved in the, in the, what we're doing as a, as a community. And it, it always comes down to self-study. So if you want to take a course that goes through what we've uh, talked about, then there's the opportunity to register for that at magneticmemorymethod.com. Okay, thank you, Anthony. So for the listeners out there, in the description for this episode and in the blog post, I'll include links to the Magnetic Memory Method so that you can find out more about how to improve your memory, how to use it, and how to improve your life, and so that you can learn more about Anthony. So once again, thank you for coming on the show, Anthony. It was a real pleasure, and I appreciate you talking to me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So to the listeners out there, make sure you check out what Anthony is up to with the Magnetic Memory Method. I certainly learned a ton during today's episode, and I hope that you guys learned even more than me. So until next time, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Da Vinci Mindset Podcast. Thank you for listening.